Section 50 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D. Section 50. Chapter 46. Part 2. The King's influence seems to have rendered the Scottish Parliament cordial in all the steps which they took towards the Union. Though the advantages which Scotland might hope from that measure were more considerable, yet were the objections too with regard to that kingdom more striking and obvious the benefit which must have resulted to england both by accession of strength and security was a riot despicable and as the english were by far the greater nation and possessed the seat of government the objections either from the point of honour or from jealousy could not reasonably have any place among them the English Parliament, indeed, seemed to have been swayed merely by the vulgar motive of national antipathy, and they persisted so obstinately in their prejudices that all the efforts for a thorough union and incorporation ended only in the abolition of the hostile laws formerly enacted between the kingdoms. Some precipitate steps which the king, a little after his accession, had taken in order to promote his favorite project had been here observed to do more injury than service from his own authority he had assumed the title of king of great britain and had quartered the arms of scotland with those of england in all coins flags and ensigns he had also engaged the judges to make a declaration that all those who after the union of the crowns should be born in either kingdom were for that reason alone naturalized in both this was a nice question and according to the ideas of those times susceptible of subtle reasoning on both sides the king was the same the parliaments were different to render the people before the same we must suppose that the sovereign authority resided chiefly in the prince and that these popular assemblies were rather instituted to assist with money and advice than endowed with any controlling or active powers in the government it is evident says bacon in his pleadings on the subject that all other commonwealths monarchies only excepted do subsist by a law precedent for where authority is divided amongst many officers and they not perpetual but annual or temporary and not to receive their authority but by election and certain persons to have voices only in that election and the like these are busy and curious frames which of necessity do presuppose a law precedent written or unwritten to guide and direct them but in monarchies especially hereditary that is when several families or lineages of people do submit themselves to one line imperial or royal the submission is more natural and simple which afterwards by law subsequent is perfected and made formal but that is grounded upon nature it would seem from this reasoning that the idea of an hereditary limited monarchy though implicitly supposed in many public transactions had scarcely ever as yet been expressly formed by any english lawyer or politician except the obstinacy of the parliament with regard to the union and an attempt on the king's ecclesiastical jurisdiction 
most of their measures during this session were sufficiently respectful and obliging though they still discover a vigilant spirit and a careful attention towards national liberty the votes also of the commons show that the house contained a mixture of puritans who had acquired great authority among them and who together with religious prejudices were continually suggesting ideas more suitable to a popular than a monarchical form of government the natural appetite for rule made the commons lend a willing ear to every doctrine which tended to augment their own power and influence a petition was moved in the lower house for a more rigorous execution of the laws against popish recusants and an abatement towards protestant clergymen who scrupled to observe the ceremonies both these points were equally unacceptable to the king and he sent orders to the house to proceed no further in that matter the commons were inclined at first to consider these orders as a breach of privilege but they soon acquiesced when told that this measure of the king's was supported by many precedents during the reign of elizabeth had they been always disposed to make the precedents of that reign the rule of their conduct they needed never have had any quarrel with any of their monarchs the complaints of spanish depredations were very loud among the english merchants the lower house sent a message to the lords desiring a conference with them in order to their presenting a joint petition to the king on the subject the lords took some time to deliberate on this message because they said the matter was weighty and rare it probably occurred to them at first that the parliaments interposing in affairs of state would appear unusual and extraordinary and to show that in this sentiment they were not guided by court influence after they had deliberated they agreed to the conference the house of commons began now to feel themselves of such importance that on the motion of sir edwin sandys a member of great authority they entered for the first time an order for the regular keeping of their journals when all business was finished the king prorogued the parliament about this time there was an insurrection of the country people in northamptonshire headed by one reynolds a man of low condition they went about destroying enclosures but carefully avoided committing any other outrage this insurrection was easily suppressed and though great lenity was used towards the rioters yet were some of the ringleaders punished the chief cause of that trivial commotion seems to have been or itself far from trivial the practice still continued in england of disusing tillage and throwing the land into enclosures for the sake of pasture by this means the kingdom was depopulated at least prevented from increasing so much in people as might have been expected from the daily increase of industry and commerce next year presents us with nothing memorable but in the spring of the subsequent after a long negotiation was concluded by a truce of twelve years that war which for near half a century had been carried on with such fury between spain and the states of the united provinces never contest seemed at first more unequal never contest was finished with more honour to the weaker party on the side of spain were numbers riches authority discipline on the side of the revolted provinces were found the attachment to liberty and the enthusiasm of religion by her naval enterprises the republic maintained her armies and joining peaceful industry to military valour she was enabled by her own force to support herself and gradually rely less on those neighbouring princes who from jealousy to spain were at first prompted to encourage her revolt long had the pride of that monarchy prevailed over her interest 
and prevented her from hearkening to any terms of accommodation with her rebellious subjects but finding all intercourse cut off between her provinces by the maritime force of the states she at last agreed to treat with them as a free people and solemnly to renounce all claim and pretension to their sovereignty this chief point being gained the treaty was easily brought to a conclusion under the joint mediation and guarantee of france and england all exterior appearances of honour were paid equally to both crowns but very different were the sentiments which the states as well as all europe entertained of the princes who wore them frugality and vigour the chief circumstances which procure regard among foreign nations shone out as conspicuously in henry as they were deficient in james to a contempt of the english monarchy henry seems to have added a considerable degree of jealousy and aversion which were sentiments altogether without foundation james was just and fair in all transactions with his allies but it appears from the memoirs of those times that each side deemed him partial towards their adversary and fancied that he had entered into secret measures against them so little equity have men in their judgments of their own affairs and so dangerous is that entire neutrality affected by the king of england the little concern which james took in foreign affairs renders the domestic occurrences particularly those of parliament the most interesting of his reign a new session was held this spring the king full of hopes of receiving supply the commons of circumscribing his prerogative the earl of salisbury now created treasurer on the death of the earl of dorset lay open the king's necessities first to the peers then to a committee of the lower house he insisted on the unavoidable expense incurred in supporting the navy and in suppressing a late insurrection in ireland he mentioned three numerous courts which the king was obliged to maintain for himself for the queen and for the prince of wales he observed that queen elizabeth though a single woman had received very large supplies in the years preceding her death which alone were expensive to her and he remarked that during her reign she had alienated many of the crown lands an expedient which though it supplied her present necessities without laying burdens on her people extremely multiplied the necessities of her successor from all these causes he thought it nowise strange that the king's income should fall short so great a sum as eighty one thousand pounds of his stated and regular expense without mentioning contingencies which ought always to be esteemed a fourth of the yearly charges and as the crown was now necessarily burdened with a great and urgent debt of three hundred thousand pounds he thence inferred the absolute necessity of an immediate and large supply from the people to all these reasons which james likewise urged in a speech addressed to both houses the commons remained inexorable but not to shock the king with an absolute refusal they granted him one subsidy and one fifteenth which would scarcely amount to a hundred thousand pounds and james received the mortification of discovering in vain all his wants and of begging aid of subjects who had no reasonable indulgence or consideration for him among the many causes of disgust and quarrel which now daily and unavoidably multiplied between prince and parliament this article of money is to be regarded as none of the least considerable after the discovery and conquest of the west indies gold and silver became every day more plentiful in england as well as in the rest of europe and the price of all commodities and provisions rose to a height beyond what had been known since the declension of the roman empire as the revenue of the crown rose not in proportion the prince was insensibly reduced to poverty amidst the general riches of his subjects and required 
additional funds in order to support the same magnificence and force which had been maintained by former monarchs but while money thus flowed into england we may observe that at the same time and probably from that very cause arts and industry of all kinds received a mighty increase and elegance in every enjoyment of life became better known and more cultivated among all ranks of people the king's servants both civil and military his courtiers his ministers demanded more ample supplies from the impoverished prince and were not contented with the same simplicity of living which had satisfied their ancestors the prince himself began to regard an increase of pomp and splendour as requisite to support the dignity of his character and to preserve the same superiority above his subjects which his predecessors had enjoyed some equality too and proportion to the other sovereigns in europe it was natural for him to desire and as they had universally enlarged their revenue and multiplied their taxes the king of england deemed it reasonable that his subjects who were generally as rich as theirs should bear with patience some additional burdens and impositions unhappily for the king those very riches with the increasing knowledge of the age bred opposite sentiments in his subjects and begetting a spirit of freedom and independence disposed them to pay little regard either to the entreaties or menaces of their sovereign while the barons possessed their former immense property and extensive jurisdictions they were apt at every disgust to endanger the monarch and throw the whole government into confusion but this confusion often in its turn proved favourable to the monarch and made the nation again submit to him in order to re-establish justice and tranquillity after the power of alienations as well as the increase of commerce had thrown the balance of property into the hands of the commons the situation of affairs and the dispositions of men became susceptible of a more regular plan of liberty and the laws were not supported singly by the authority of the sovereign and though in that interval after the decline of the peers and before the people had yet experienced their force the princes assumed an exorbitant power and had almost annihilated the constitution under the weight of their prerogative as soon as the commons recovered from their lethargy they seemed to have been astonished at the danger and were resolved to secure liberty by firm barriers than their ancestors had hitherto provided for it had james possessed a very rigid frugality he might have warded off this crisis somewhat longer and waiting patiently for a favourable opportunity to increase and fix his revenue might have secured the extensive authority transmitted to him on the other hand had the commons been inclined to act with more generosity and kindness towards their prince they might probably have turned his necessities to good account and have bribed him to depart peaceably from the most dangerous articles of his prerogative but he was a foreigner and ignorant of the arts of popularity they were soured by religious prejudices and tenacious of their money and in this situation it is no wonder that during this whole reign we scarcely find an interval of mutual confidence and friendship between prince and parliament the king by his prerogative alone had some years before altered the rates of the customs and had established higher impositions on several kinds of merchandise this exercise of power will naturally to us appear arbitrary and illegal yet according to the principles and practices of that time it might admit of some apology the duties of tonnage and poundage were at first granted to the crown by a vote of parliament and for a limited time and as the grant frequently expired and was renewed there could not then arise any doubt concerning the origin of the king's right to levy these duties 
and this imposition like all others was plainly derived from the voluntary consent of the people but as henry v and all the succeeding sovereigns had the revenue conferred on them for life the prince so long in possession of these duties began gradually to consider them as his own proper right and inheritance and regarded the vote of parliament as a mere formality which rather expressed the acquiescence of the people in his prerogative than bestowed any new gift or revenue upon him the parliament when it was granted poundage to the crown had fixed no particular rates the imposition was given as a shilling in a pound or five per cent on all commodities it was left to the king himself and the privy council aided by the advice of such merchants as they should think proper to consult to fix the value of goods and thereby the rates of the customs and as that value had been settled before the discovery of the west indies it was become much inferior to the prices which almost all commodities bore in every market in europe and consequently the customs on many goods though supposed to be five per cent was in reality much inferior the king therefore was naturally led to think that rates which were now plainly false ought to be corrected that the valuation of commodities fixed by one act of the privy council might be amended by another that if his right to poundage were inherent in the crown he should also possess of himself the right of correcting its inequalities if this duty were granted by the people he should at least support the spirit of the law by fixing a new and juster valuation of all commodities but besides this reasoning which seems plausible if not solid the king was supported in that act of power by direct precedents some in the reign of mary some in the beginning of elizabeth both these princesses had without consent of parliament altered the rates of commodities and as their impositions had all along been submitted to without a murmur and still continued to be levied the king had no reason to apprehend that a further exertion of the same authority would give any occasion of complaint that less umbrage might be taken he was moderate in the new rates which he established the customs during his whole reign rose only from one hundred and twenty seven thousand pounds a year to one hundred and ninety thousand though besides the increase of the rates there was a sensible increase of commerce and industry during that period every commodity besides which might serve to the subsistence of the people or might be considered as a material of manufactures was exempted from the new impositions of james but all this caution could not prevent the complaints of the commons a spirit of liberty had now taken possession of the house the leading members men of an independent genius and large views began to regulate their opinions more by the future consequences which they foresaw than by the former precedents which were set before them and they less aspired at maintaining the ancient constitution than at establishing a new one and a freer and a better in their remonstrances to the king on this occasion they observed it to be a general opinion that the reasons of that practice might be extended much further even to the utter ruin of the ancient liberty of the kingdom and the subjects right of property in their lands and goods though expressly forbidden by the king to touch his prerogative they passed a bill abolishing these impositions which was rejected by the house of lords in another address to the king they objected to the practice of borrowing upon privy seals and desired that the subjects should not be forced to lend money to his majesty nor give a reason for their refusal some murmurs likewise were thrown out in the house against a new monopoly of the license of wines it must be confessed that forced loans and monopolies were established on many an ancient as well as recent precedents though diametrically opposite to all the principles of a free government End of section fifty 
Chapter Forty Six, Part Two, read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.